Thank you, Miss Hunter, for sharing those talents with us. Dear brethren, a real pleasure to see these beautiful people from here. First time I have a chance to stand here. I have to pray a lot always. You know that you scare me, but it's a scary thing to speak <laughs> in headquarters for some reason, my friends. I have to trust God a lot because I cannot trust myself. But it's a real pleasure to be here with you. And uh, when I found out I was going to speak on the Singles Weekend, I said, where do I find a subject about singles in the Bible? I said, oh, the ten virgins. They are virgins. They must be single. Huh? <laughs> so... Anyway, guess what? We're going to speak about the ten virgins, but we're going to find out that that parable applies to all of us, single and married. Actually, brethren, as we will find out as we look here, how the Bible interprets the Bible with the gift of God that allows us to compare the spiritual to the spiritual, I'm going to dare to explore a little bit this parable. I did ask uh, my teachers, mainly my dear teacher, Dr. Murdy, who is right here. I have a wonderful blessing to have him as my professor in Ambassador College, and that made a profound impact in my life until this day. So I have to honor him. I'm not seeking a raise in my salary. I just want to... I want to acknowledge the fact that I had the privilege of having him as my professor and still to this day. So I ask about that parable. I ask him and another prestigious professor who is here too, when the door closes to those ten virgins, does that mean the entrance to the place of safety? Or does it mean the entrance to the kingdom of God? And they explained to me in mutual agreement, although I asked them separately to have a real witness, that it could apply to both. And we're going to see today that it does apply to both, and that is a warning that God gives to us, especially at the end time. Now, we are all virgins in the sense we are waiting for the marriage of the Lamb, where we have been invited being called by God the Father to become the wife of Jesus Christ. So don't worry, my friends. We, single ones, will get married very soon. So no problem. It's coming. By the way, Pentecost is around the corner here. And on that day, we will celebrate the marriage contract, which is the Ten Commandments and all the laws of God that are ramifications of those Ten Commandments written in our hearts and in our minds as the New Covenant. And that's a wonderful thing we're about to celebrate, that we already have the earnest of the Spirit of God, and it represents the fact that we are signing a marriage contract. We will submit to that law, the law of love, as a loving wife would submit to her husband. And we have to prove that. In the meantime, now, we are considered virgins. It's very interesting to understand that. And let's go now 
without further delay to see how, with God's help, we'd be able to explore a little bit. I don't pretend to be able to explain everything. But let's go to chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25, and verse 1 is the beginning of the parable of the ten virgins. And as I say, it applies to everybody here, my dear friends. We have a tremendous invitation to this banquet. We'll celebrate that marriage covenant on Pentecost and the actual marriage on the day of trumpets at the return of Jesus Christ. So, my dear friends, let's look at this and try to understand a little bit and see the warning for our days, a warning for us. This parable could apply all along for those that have been called to be part of the wife of Christ. But it also applies in the very end time because it mentions the return of Jesus Christ. So it has a lot of meaning. The wisdom of our Lord is absolutely amazing as we try to seek the meaning of this wonderful parable and all the parables he left for us. Let's start reading chapter 25 and verse 1. I'm reading book of Matthew chapter 25 and verse 1. Then the kingdom of God, of heaven, you know that Matthew usually wrote for the Jews, they prefer to say the kingdom of heaven, like in the book of Daniel, but we know that the same expression appears as the kingdom of God in the book of Luke and Mark. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. It's interesting that every word here counts. The kingdom of heaven. Who is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, my dear friends? As Christ explained to Nicodemus, we have to be born again in order to see, in order to enter the kingdom of God and be part of it. So he's referring here to the ten virgins are those that are called to be part of the kingdom of God and be the wife of Jesus Christ for eternity. The help meet to rule the world. Amazing, my dear friends. The kingdom of heaven, now we have an interpretation that Christ himself gives, is those that will be born again shall be likened to ten virgins. Now, when you have number ten, we know is the number of judgment. How do we know? You know the Ten Commandments are those uh, parameters by, the, by which God judges us. Let's look at this. So he's referring, the ten virgins are those that have been cleansed by the body of Christ, by the blood of Christ, have been bought. You know, every young man in Israel, my dear friends, and in the laws of the Bible, have to pay a dowry for his wife. You find that first example in Genesis 34 when this Hamor took Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he was willing to pay a dowry for her because it was a law, an established law. And you know that every young man had to pay a dowry for his beloved one to show to her father how precious she was to him. The dowry is 50 shekels of silver that we find in the book of Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 22. Anyway, you can verify that. The dowry for the young lady who will be the wife. Now, 
the Apostle Paul explained, the Apostle Peter explains to us, and Paul also, that Christ didn't pay for us with silver or gold, but with his own blood. The greatest show of love anyone can have. His own life. That's how he bought us. So, it's interesting also to note that the high Christ did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. Remember that circumcision, physical circumcision, is not necessary to enter the kingdom of God. But I tell you, brethren, if our hearts are not circumcised, we will not enter the kingdom of God. Therefore, it was not abolished. He has a fulfillment, a spiritual fulfillment, that the Apostle Paul explains in Romans chapter 2. So, since Christ did not abolish the law, we can give many examples about that, you know, that the lamb was a physical lamb, and Christ came and fulfilled it himself. He shed his own blood as the lamb of God. So there are many other ways, and we're going to see some of them today with the help of God. So, if Christ did not abolish the law, that means that the high priest, according to Leviticus chapter 21, if you want to see that also, I'm trying to prove who these ten virgins are. Leviticus chapter 21 and verse 13, it says that the high priest only can marry a virgin. Now, how does that happen? We're going to see that we are all made virgins. And we will let the Bible interpret itself. Now, number 10, I repeat again, every word here is important. These ten virgins are called and they are being judged now, before the rest of the world. They are represent those that have been bought by the blood of Christ because he is going to marry a virgin. We are going to see how we are made virgins. And when we are born again, we are a spiritual body, we will be virgins. And chapter 14 of the book of Revelation says that the first fruits are virgins. So how does that happen? How does that apply to all of us? First, let's look at something. We are being judged now. That's why number 10 is there. What does God use to judge us? He is going, he's writing his laws in our hearts and in our minds. The Ten Commandments. So we are being judged now to see if we are worthy to marry Jesus Christ. If we submit like a loving wife should submit that, to that love, law of love which in reciprocal way, Christ said, those that love me, keep my commandments. This is love, that we keep his commandments. If he shed his blood for us, how do we correspond? If you love me, he said, keep my commandments. He said three times in the book of John, chapter 14, chapter and chapter 15. You can find that, my dear brethren. I won't dwell there too much. But we're going to see that judgment starts by the house of God. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17. And we are going to see why this number 10 is there. It's not only the number of the Ten Commandments. It's also a very meaningful thing that means for us that all of the ten have been cleansed by Christ and have been called by God. But we're going to see that there is a big warning for all of us. In 1 Peter chapter 14 and verse 17, let's look at it. Dear brethren, it says, For the time has come 
for judgment to begin at the house of God. So those ten virgins represent throughout history, but also now in the end time. It's an amazing thing how this parable can apply in so many wonderful ways. The wisdom of our Lord is just fantastic. So, I repeat, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17. For the time has come for the judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do, do not obey the gospel of God? So, number 10 means judgment. And let's confirm that. Always letting the Bible interpret itself and comparing the spiritual to the spiritual. We learn from Mr. Armstrong that wonderful principle. And the Apostle Paul also points to us in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians that the spiritual are able to compare the spiritual to the spiritual. So let's go now to James chapter 2 and verse 10. The epistle of James chapter 2 and verse 10. And we try to prove every point. You see, the kingdom of God means a lot. Ten means a lot. Virgins means a lot. I'm trying to explain as we go. It is so full with meaning, my dear friends. So, the apostle James, Jesus Christ's brother, wrote in chapter 2 and verse 10, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And we know that they are not abolished. These acquire a higher and deeper dimension. Christ explained, we can commit adultery just by coveting in our hearts. That's enough to commit adultery. And the Apostle Paul explains in his first Epistle, if we hate our brother, we are murderers. So we are speaking of a higher dimension, not a law that was abolished, but that has a most profound meaning that Christ came to give to it. That's why he writes those laws inside us, my dear friends, and we become a temple of the living God. Let's continue here. Verse 11. For he who said, James 2, first, verse 11, he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, we already saw, hate is enough to be a murderer. Today, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, listen to this, and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. So he's speaking clearly without Confusion of the Ten Commandments, that will be the law of liberty by which we are being judged right now, according to 1 Peter 4.17. And then we have, we are trying to complete this picture now, that's why there are ten virgins that are being judged now by the law of liberty. And they are virgins because they have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. That's the dowry he paid for his wife. His own blood. So this is tremendous. What the meaning of this is, my dear brethren. And for us singles, my friends, is a warning that we should take advantage of the opportunity we have 
Like Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in the meantime, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be looking to get married sometime probably before Christ returns, but maybe it doesn't happen, we will be married for eternity. So all of us are going to be married for eternity if we are considered worthy, my dear friends, to be part of that marvelous calling to the utmost fulfillment of that calling. So, so speak and so those are those that will be judged by the law of liberty. So we are those ten virgins being judged right now by the law of liberty, which is written in our hearts and minds because we have been bought and cleansed by the blood of Christ and our bodies become a temple of the presence of God inside us. So, for example, we have another proof to prove that this means those that have been called by God have made virgins. How does that happen? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, continuing to compare the spiritual to the spiritual, my dear brethren. And so we have this clear in our head. Chapter 6 and verse 9 of 1 Corinthians, it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, Do do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be... So we're talking of the kingdom of God here. And listen to this. We're going to understand how we are made virgins. So we are given access, at least, to the wonderful opportunity of inheriting the kingdom of God if we endure until the very end, being faithful and loyal to that wonderful calling. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters. Here we are talking of the Ten Commandments. Nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. Remember, the ten virgins is about the kingdom of God. That's the very first statement Christ makes. And then he continues here, and such were some of you. He's speaking of fornicators and adulterers. How are they made virgins? We're going to see right now here. And such were some of you, but you were washed. But you were sanctified, washed by what? By the blood of Christ, which is represented in our covenant in baptism, my dear friends. You were sanctified by what? The Spirit of God comes in us after baptism. We become a temple of that presence of the living God and Jesus Christ. But you were justified, of course, by the, by the blood of Jesus Christ in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our Lord. Now, let's look at 2 Corinthians and we'll see how this turns us into spiritual virgins, my dear friends. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Here Paul is talking to the same church and listen what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Oh, that you would bear with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. All that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, 
that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He's talking of the same ones that were adulterers, fornicators, some of them even homosexuals, but they have to repent and change and being washed, completely washed and regenerated by the word of God and by the presence of his spirit in us. So we see clearly the picture. The virgins is the whole church, the singles and the married ones, my dear friends. It involves all of us. Now, having covered that, let's go for a moment to the fact that we continue to understand this, this uh, parable, this wonderful parable. I will not pretend to explain everything, brethren. I don't pretend to understand everything. But some things, as we are showing here, can be understood, comparing the spiritual to the spiritual and letting the Bible interpret itself, which is what we have, have been taught in the church of God. Let's go back to the parable of the virgins and continue to examine the subject. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. We already explained the kingdom of heaven in a few words. What it means, those that will be, are invited to become the wife of Christ, born again, born again, and called virgins in chapter 14 of the book of Revelation. The first fruits are the first called. And here, the, the judgment of God starts by us. So we are explaining everything according to the word of God. And it says, ten virgins who took their lamps. Aha, let's stop there. Took their lamps. What does that mean? We already explained that we were washed and we were bought by the blood of Christ who cleansed us of dead works in our conscience so that the Spirit of God could come and dwell inside us. Once we have been called and washed, then and we receive the Holy Spirit, we become the temple of God. Where is that? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and let's try to understand this, my dear brethren. 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 6, let's see, I have to look at my notes here in my Spanish Bible. <laughs> you excuse me for a second, brethren. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? We already know he's talking of virgins to these Corinthians. He said how we were washed. It applies to all of us. And how we are presented as a chaste virgin to Christ. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Now, what happens once our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit? What happens the day the Holy Spirit came in? Let's look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, you know that very well, brethren. But let's look at this, because we need to understand exactly what he meant, means by the lamps. Chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And he says, in verse 3, you know, in verse 2, it explains how the Holy Spirit came. Acts 2 and verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Out of a rushing mighty wind. 
Holy Spirit is represented as wind, ruach in Hebrew, pneuma in Greek, which is one of the ways the Holy Spirit is manifested, or is also manifested with fire and with water. So God uses several ways to symbolize his Holy Spirit. Christ said, those that believe in me, rivers of living water will flow from their bosom. Speaking of what? The Holy Spirit. He said it himself. Here, we know that the Bible all over speaks of the Holy Spirit as wind, but we also know that it speaks of fire. And we're going to see it confirmed in just in a moment. Chapter 2, verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse 3. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. What happens in the temple of God? We already saw. We are the temple of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. In the temple of God, there was a lamp stick, and there was a lamp that had to burn forever as a perpetual statue. How can that happen? Let's look at it, and we start to see our duties now, dear friends. We have to keep that lamp burning. And that's why there are some that are foolish and some that are wise. And that's why God is warning us today, my dear friends. Let's look at it for a moment and confirm in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6 how the Apostle Paul proves this fact. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God. You know what? When you look at a companion Bible, or you look at this word, I, don't, I, didn't, I had it at the office, I couldn't bring it. I'm sorry about that. But in many other versions of the Bible, and the Greek word implies stir up the fire of the gift of God. Stir up the fire. You should put that there in your margin because it's very important. That has to be with that little tongue of fire that came upon each one of those where the Holy Spirit came, and it has to do with those that were baptized later on, like T Timothy, by Paul. What does he say? Chapter 1 and verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the fire. That word belongs there in the Greek. You can look in the margin of the Companion Bible. It's right there. Or you can look in a, in a lexicon if you want. Stir up the fire of the gift of God which is in you through the laying off of my hands. What is he referring to? Let's continue reading and the Bible will tell us he's talking of the Holy Spirit for God has not given us a spirit. There it is. That's what he received by the laying of hands. A fire that has to be kept burning as a perpetual statue. That's why some virgins are foolish. They do not obey that law. Christ didn't come to abolish the law. We're going to see that in a moment. It says here, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We stir up that fire, brethren. The fear disappear. And then we come full of the spirit and of the fruits of the spirit and of courage and of self-control, and of a sound mind. Now, I think we have painted 
we are painting already a picture to show how important and how every word in this parable is so full with meaning. Let's go back there to chapter 25 of the book of Matthew, Matthew 25, and it says, 10 virgins, we're already explained virgins, we're already explained number 10, who took their lamps, and now I'm explaining that those lamps mean the presence of the Holy Spirit in the temple of each one of those. If we are the temple and the laws are written here, that means there is a Holy of Holies inside us because the Ten Commandments were in the Holy of Holies in the ark, which was the temple. I mean, inside the temple of God. The parallels are amazing. I did a sermon some time ago. Maybe it would be time to do it again. Uh, the priesthood of Melchizedek. How every ritual that was physical that Aaron performed has a parallel which is a spiritual which Christ did not come to abolish. My dear friends, he came to give a fulfillment. What a wonderful fulfillment to know that those ten commandments written by the finger of God that were inside the ark, inside the Holy of Holies, we have them now in our hearts and minds. That's part of the same concept. This is the temple of God. And God expects that that fire that has been started there keeps burning. Stir up the fire. Let us not, this world, friends, distract us. Today we live in a world of distraction, distraction, and distraction. God is going to take his wife, if we are counted worthy to escape, to the desert for three and a half years. To detoxify us for continual distraction. Watching this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, entertaining ourselves to death. I'm not saying all to all of you, I'm saying to myself, my dear brethren. But that's why he said there are some foolish virgins. Because he said, let that fire go dim. Because we're not nourishing that fire. And we're nourishing it by what Eve looked in the Garden of Eden. The fruit was good to eat. You know? It looked good to the eyes. The desires of the flesh. The desires of the eyes. And good to obtain wisdom. What wisdom? I decide by myself what is good and what is bad. I don't submit to the law of God. I do whatever is right in my own eyes. Do you think we escape of that attitude today in the church of God? If we escape from that attitude, my, my brethren, people would submit to the government of God and they have enough discernment to know where it is being worked and where the work of God is being done. But many do not even see it, my dear friends, because we live in a time called Laodiceans, and maybe we are Laodiceans if we don't find out. Of course, the fruits of this work are the fruits of Philadelphia, but we have to watch out because that spirit is the one who prevails in our time, my dear friends. So, let's continue here and see what is the duty to keep that fire burning. It's in the law. And it applies today. We're going to prove it. Let the Bible interpret itself. If we go to chapter 27 of the book of Exodus, and first, let's take in, 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 into consideration the fact that Christ said he did not come to abolish the law. I prove to you, no, circumcision was not abolished, you know. 
The law of God acquires a much higher meaning in the new covenant. Now, and he said it in very plain terms. Let's look at chapter 5 and verse 17 of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. These are the words of our Lord. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. And that's exactly what many churches out there teach. They teach exactly the opposite of what he is stating here. Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. We already see it. The circumcision was not abolished. It has a fulfillment. We're going to see that the burning of the incense was not abolished. He has a fulfillment, which is the prayers that are presented before the throne of God this day. And we're going to see that the lamp, keep that lamp burning, was not abolished either. And we prove it to full satisfaction of those that have ears to hear. Verse, verse 18, Matthew 5, 18. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot nor one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Christ came and gave a lot of fulfillments, my friends. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That means we have to reach that level of heart circumcision or the fulfillment of those, those wonderful laws in a higher dimension, my dear brethren. Now let's go to the book of the law. Christ just said that those things are not abolished. So let's read Exodus 27 and verse 20. Exodus 27 and verse 20. We already proved that we are the temple of God because we were cleansed and bought by the blood of Christ as his wife. And we already proved that inside that temple there are the Ten Commandments like the Holy of Holies. And, of course, being the temple of God, there has to be a parallel to the candlestick and to that fire burning, which is the Holy Spirit when it came and started a fire, like Paul said it to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, 6. Now, we put all that thing together in the context, and let's look again, like I mentioned, chapter 27 and verse 20 of the book of Exodus. 27 and verse 20, and then we read... And you shall command, of course, there is a candlestick there, which we will pass time, we understand that this, it has to be there for this lamp to be burning, that fire. And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. Listen to that, brethren. To cause the lamp to burn continually. Christ said this would not be, this, this not being abolished. What is the oil? One of the most powerful expressions of that oil that explains to us how you keep that fire burning is in John. Let's keep the scripture here, please, brethren, and go to John chapter 6 
and then we will see it, brethren. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 6, and verse 63. Gospel of John, chapter 6, and verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and are life. And the spirit is light. And the olive oil is a symbol of the spirit. And here is a commandment to bring this fresh, pure oil to make the lamps continually burn. What is Christ saying? Feed your spirit, feed your mind with my words. They are spirit. They are life. And also John explains where there is light, there is life. So it's all a beautiful spiritual equation. So he is saying to us that, and then also Matthew 4.4 4, and Luke 4.4, 4, a man shall not live by bread alone, if you want to take it with that analogy, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. In other words, we cannot live and exist as those virgins or as the ones who are going to have eternal life you are not feeding on the word of God with passion if we are not letting that oil make that lamp continually to burn that means if we don't put oil if we don't put that word of God which Christ said the oil is the spirit and God Christ said the words I speak to you are spirit there is again we are comparing, comparing the spiritual to the spiritual. Letting the Bible interpret itself. That lamp will go dim. And it has to be done every day. That's the commandment here. Like we have to eat bread every day. If we need that lamp to burn, it has to be fed every day. Otherwise, automatically starts going dim. So there are some of us that are foolish virgins. Who are not fulfilling that commandment. And we are going to see it. Proved and proved again and again. Let's read again. It's here, chapter 27 and verse 20 of the book of Exodus. Exodus 27 and verse 20. And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil. We already saw Christ said oil is the symbol of the Spirit. The holy ointment that sanctifies. The Spirit sanctifies us. Set us apart from the world, brethren. From the moment the Spirit of God enters us, we are sanctified. We are set apart from the world as those ten virgins that are being judged now, not the world. Only those. So everything fits, as you can see, as we go. And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light. That fire that has to be stirred up. So here, that's what Paul was telling Timothy. Put that word of God, fill your mind and your heart with that word of God so that lamp keeps burning. Not half and half, but burning in fullness. To cause the lamp to burn continually. That's a commandment. And let's continue to read here. In the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, that means in the temple of God. This is the holy place and the holy of holies. The Ten Commandments were in the holy of holies. The lamp was in the holy place. But we are talking of the tabernacle. And we are the tabernacle. So it applies to us. And it says here, 
Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. And it shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. So people wonder today, but how can that be a statute forever? Where is Aaron? Where is Aaron? Where is the descendant of Aaron burning and bringing that oil and having that lamp in a, in a physical temple today? He says it's a statute forever. And Christ said he did not come to abolish the law. Do you want to know where that statute is being fulfilled right now? Luke 12, 35. Let's look at it, dear brethren. There you have it. So it's a statute forever. Like as we read, when Christ said, I did not come to abolish the law. So, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 35, we have a express commandment of Jesus Christ that says, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. That's a commandment for us today, brethren. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. That's why it's a statute forever. Christ didn't come to abolish that. He's giving it a fulfillment today. And we have the obligation, brethren, after the covenant we made with Christ, to fulfill. And he keeps saying here, chapter 12, verse 35. Now, when he says your loins girded, that's explained by the Apostle Peter in his first epistle. He says, gird the loins of your mind. You know what that means? Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, that's an operation difficult to do. When we're entertaining ourselves too much in this world, my friends, watching the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life over and over and over. It makes that light go dim. And we're going to see a little bit more as we continue here. And it says, And be, yourselves be like men who are wait for their master when he will return. So those virgins had the obligation, that's why he mentions those lamps, to keep those lamps burning until Christ return. To keep that light in that temple so it doesn't come so dim that we lose our discernment. Because the lamp is also the eye. What is that? You turn your page back to chapter 11 of the same book of Luke. Chapter 11 and verse 33. Chapter 11, verse 33. No one, when he has, it, has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but in a lamp stand that those who come in may see the light. And Christ says, let your light shine before men. So that being seen your good works, they will praise your Father who is in heaven. That means it's not sufficient to be filled with the word of God. It has to be put to work. And that's how the light shines to the world. It has to shine inside this temple as we meditate in his law but it has to shine to the world as we put to work what God says we have to put to work and then becomes a light to the world when it's put to work. That's how it works. And it says, verse, verse 34, I am reading Luke 11:34. The lamp of the body is the eye. That means it will not stir up that fire. We lose spiritual discernment. 
And God is testing the spiritual discernment of his ten virgins today. Those that have been called and cleansed by the blood of Christ. And he has allowed the whole many of churches, over 300 of them, to see who has enough light in his lap to discern where the work of God is being done. And where the government of God is being applied day by day. He's testing the spiritual discernment of people, my dear brethren. We hope we understand why we are here. Because that light is burning clearly. It's also the eye who gives me spiritual discernment. And who shines inside this temple. And as I put it to work, it shines to the world as they watch our behavior, my dear friends. So, let's continue here and see confirmed by God. In chapter 30 of the book of Exodus, we see another repetition of this statute that is so important in our days, my dear friend. Chapter 30 of the book of Exodus. And verse 7. That was to see combined here several things that I don't have to, time to go into the wall of all the ritual ceremonies that Aaron had to fulfill, and they have a fulfillment today. But let's look at this one. It's very beautiful. Chapter 30, verse 7. Exodus 30, verse 7. And Aaron shall burn it on it. He's speaking of the altar of the incense. Look at this. It's a statute forever. Let's look at that. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps. So it's in combination with taking care of those lamps. He had to burn incense upon that altar of incense who was also inside the tabernacle. Once again, excuse me, I mix some Spanish sometimes. <laughs> you have to have patience with me, my friend. All these three languages now are mixed in my head. I go uh, to Europe and I have to start speaking French and sometimes, you know, that happens. But anyway, you bear with me, brethren. Let's continue here. Chapter 30. And it says, Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, or twilight, twilight, I need some grammatical assistance here, twilight, he shall burn incense, listen to this, she shall burn incense on it in the morning and in the evening. And he says, is a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Did Christ come to abolish this? No way. Let's look at Revelation chapter 5, my dear friends. Revelation chapter 5, and you see that these are commandments that should be kept Today, That's what Christ said. He didn't come to abolish the law. And we need to explore that law and understand. Chapter 5 and verse 8. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, Revelation 5, 8, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. A statute forever is being fulfilled right now, like it was written in the law. Christ didn't come to abolish. 
He gave us access to the third heaven so that this could be fulfilled forever. There you have it. And in chapter 8, you want to confirm it even more. Chapter 8 and verse 3 of the same book of Revelation. The, then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. Remember, we have an altar inside here, brethren. Will we burn that incense? It's a perpetual statute. And he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Christ opened the way for our prayers to reach that temple. The other one was just a figure. So this is the real fulfillment. That's why it's a statute forever, my dear friends. And woe unto us. He said he had to burn it in the morning. He said he had to burn it in the afternoon. What is Christ saying to us? I tell you, brethren, if we are not diligent with this type of assignments that we have as the virgins where the presence of God dwells and that body be in a temple, we'll force God to put us in the great tribulation where I tell you, we'll say like David, there is but one step between me and death. Where we know at any time they can come pick us up. And this is going to happen, brethren. We're approaching that time. We don't want to tell you nice things. It is approaching the worst persecution ever in the history of humankind upon the true believers. Hitler persecuted the physical Jews. And Anne Frank in Amsterdam had to be waiting with her family at any time they couldn't pick, up, pick them up. I tell you, we're put in that situation, brethren. We will be fulfilling these statutes very diligently. Depending on God, because our life will be depending on a thread. And God will force us to be in that situation because he's going to marry a passionate wife, not a lukewarm, fed by this world. By the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I saw, I heard the other day that uh, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, Winfrey? I have my two grammarian advisors here in the front. <laughs> that she was finishing 25 years of the most successful talk show in television. I tell you, I have never watched a, 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 a show by just little bits here and there by people that are plugged to that thing. Uh, you know what the great success of Oprah was? I just, I just read on the radio because I, there's two, over 25 years I don't have a television. So I'm not telling you have to do it, but I don't, I don't feel I have any need for that thing. And we'll talk about that more in a moment, my dear friends. Because that's what's feeding the lamp of people today, even in the church of God. It's too much of that, my dear brethren. So I, I never watched a complete show, just a few questions, and I saw she was charming and had a lot of talent. No doubt about it. Otherwise, she would not have had such success for 25 years. I was listening to the news, and he said... They said, what was the motto of her talk show? Live your best life. What does that mean? Do what is right in your own eyes. That's the voice of the world. What does the Apostle, Paul, Apostle uh, John says in 1 John? Let's look at it. 1 John. You know, that has a lot of success in this world. People want to do what is right in their own eyes, like Eve wanted that wisdom to decide what is right for her, 
what is wrong for her and omit what God says. If Oprah would have seen, say, would have been preached to the people, you want to be happy? Deny yourself. Take your cross and follow Christ. Put to death everything that is against the law of God. I can guarantee to you she wouldn't have had the success she had. <laughs> of course, the world doesn't want to hear that. That's why the preachers in Mexico City start preaching in the same station where we are, and in three years they have 5,000 people listening to them. Where they tell them, you don't have to keep the law of God. You do whatever is right in your own eyes. You just say, Lord, Lord, and you are okay. Same thing, my friends. That's the voice of the world. And we are plugged to that thing. We will have the same attitude, and many people have it today in the church. Do whatever is right in their own eyes. My dear friends. So, what are we looking for? <laughs> That's why I cannot have notes, brother. I get lost. Huh? Anyway. Ah, first John. Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you. I have my two secretaries here in the front lawn. <laughs> I'm glad they came here. These wonderful secretaries in the, in the headquarters of God's work. Here it says, the Apostle John. He says, here, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. You know, it's a deception. When Eve looked at that fruit, it looked good to eat. But it was death inside there, you know. You can look at a beautiful pastry, like how they kill Rasputin. You know, they, they, change, they put cyanide with very nice flour and little, little pastries, you know, to poison him. Well, he had help from somewhere else because she would take all those that were not poisoned. Anyway, that's another story. But when you mix good and evil, brethren, it's a deadly poison. It will kill you sooner or later, and it's killing this civilization. We are coming to the end, the 6,000-year civilization, and it's the end result of what Christ said, God said in the very beginning. You take that fruit, it will lead to death. And the whole civilization is about to die, destroyed by itself, because we have decided to do whatever is right in our own eyes and completely forget what God has to say. Do not love the world of the things in the world, again, 1 John 2:15. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of the Father is not in him. Because we're, it's a deception. Just deceived. You know, the appearance. And it leads to death. God doesn't want us to live to go to death. It looks good to the eyes. It looks good to the flesh, to it. And it looks good that I decide I'm going to do whatever pleases me. There are the three things there. Very simple. That's what Eve did, what the world is doing right now, today. And if we are hooked to those televisions and to the Internet and to the cell phone and to the iPod, day and night, like many people in this time, that's what we're absorbing. The love of the world because that's what moves this world. The appearance, the deception. It looks good, you know. It looks good to the eyes, you know, all the pornography that is out there. It looks too... Good to the flesh, you know, it, it, it tastes good, and I decide to do whatever is right in my own eyes. And it says here, verse 16, 1 John 2, 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, you see, if looking at the tree of good and evil. Here we have it. 
It looked good to eat. The lust of the flesh. But it was a poison. It would kill them sooner or later. That's why God doesn't want us to be deceived, my dear brethren. The lust of the eyes. It looked very nice. But the devil wanted them to eat that one. I bet you all the other trees looked beautiful. And the fruit was delicious. And you could eat it. Like many blessings God wants us to, to enjoy. God doesn't want us to live a, you know, a, the life of an those that practice asceticism, like Paul condemns in the book of Colossians. Asceticism, you know, to treat yourself badly and, and you are going to please God. No, God doesn't want that. He just wants us not to be deceived by things that are, don't have any substance but death in it. That's what the world has, my dear friends. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. So almost 90% or more of the entertainment, brethren, is based on this. Lost of the eyes, lost of the flesh. I travel a lot. And I have to sit in those airplanes. And sometimes they put a screen for the whole, you know, coach class. And they choose whatever movie they want to choose. And show to the and people like dumb sheep, you know, with their mouth open, swallow the whole thing. Brethren. And some of us do the same thing. We have to hate evil. That's the fear of God. To hate evil. That's not fanaticism. That's discernment. I'd rather take my Bible and start reading or praying, close my eyes, and if the screen is not for everybody, then each seat has a personal screen with 30 movies to choose from. And even if I don't want to see them, I have to get up and walk on the aisles of the, on, on a 9 or 10 hours flight you know, I have to work to get my circulation going and breathe a little bit. And just by passing there, what do you see, brethren? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I decide whatever is good. And it's getting to the point where it is darkness. It's getting to the point where it's Harry Potter and Twilight, where the demons are seducing and seductive. And they want to suck your blood because they are murderers. And your life is in your blood. And it's a dark background all through. I have never sat down to see Harry Potter, but I do walk on the aisles, and sometimes I take a look just to check it up. But I don't need to stay and stick my nose to those things, brethren. Those are the works of darkness. And Paul warns us in the book of Ephesians, rebuke. Do not be partakers of the work of darkness. If we let our children feed on that thing, brethren, the consequences can be very serious. I know a case in a country I don't want to mention where the mother let his child be entertained, babysat by a television and horror movies, movies of demons. That child was a normal child, and he became a schizophrenic with several demons inside him. That's what they want with those movies. We have to hate it. And the demons tell, told him, kill your mother. You want to live in hell with demons. That's what you have to do. Watch those movies. And then he starts to starve himself to death because he didn't want to kill his mom. That's a tragedy. That's the fruits of darkness. 
That's what this world is heading to, to death. More and more demons taking place in the daily lives of people. If we are not zealous, what's going to happen? It's very seductive. We should have anything to do with that. Rebuke the works of darkness. Hate evil. The kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, we don't have to make a big drama. No, we just know that we have to reject those things and not to be part of it. We are filled with that thing. When people go to bed, you know, those lamps have to be lit at night. What's God telling us? Go to bed with the word of God burning in your spirit. If you go to bed with the last movie of violence of this world, brethren, that's going to stay with you during the night. And those lamps, is written here, had to burn all night. Not that you have to stay awake. It's amazing the details that we have from the Bible. Let me explain that. I, don't, I have many other things to tell you, but boy, I don't have time. I always run out of time. I wish I were in Mexico. <laughs> well, my voice is there. I better be careful here. But I want to tell you here. <clears throat> Let's look for last time to confirm this thing of the lamp. In chapter 24 of the book of Leviticus, verse 1. Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 1. Leviticus 24 and verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives. We already saw in Exodus 30, Exodus 27, and here again. So it is clear. It's a commandment of God. And Christ gave that parable because those virgins have to keep those lamps burning with the Word of God, filling it. You know, when you study the Word of God, it's when you are adding the oil. But the lamp keeps burning. That's the meditation. When you eat that bread of the Word of God, you are putting the Word of God inside. But then the digestion is the meditation. If that prevails in our temple, then we are walking with God. And remember, here, don't lose that place there, please, in Psalms 119. Psalms 119. Psalms 119. It says, verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word. That's why we gird the loins of our understanding. When that's the light who guides every thought, every feeling, every decision we make, my dear brethren, who are true disciples of Jesus Christ. So let's continue here in Leviticus 24 to confirm this fact. Command the children of Israel that they bring to you, this is Leviticus 24, verse 1, verse 2, excuse me, Pure oil of pressed olives. We prove this is the word of God. Christ said it. The words I speak to you are spirit. And the spirit is represented by the olive oil. For the light. For the light to make the lamps burn continually. 
That means if we don't feed the Holy Spirit with the Word of God, it will go dim. It will go dim. It will lose discernment. We already saw it's the eye. And we will lose many other things, especially to be acceptable and filled with the presence of Jesus Christ. Outside the veil, verse 3, of the testimony, that means in the holy place, in the tabernacle of meeting, our own shall be in charge of it from evening until morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a statute forever in generations. He shall be in charge of the lamps, of the pure gold lampstick before the Lord continually. A statute forever from evening to morning. How that can be? Let's look a little bit here, brethren, in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Joshua, chapter 1. Joshua, chapter 1, and let's try to understand this thing. God is not exaggerating. Joshua, chapter 1, and verse 7. Joshua, chapter 1, and verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Joshua 1, 7, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand nor to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law, verse 8, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your ways prosperous, and then you will have good success. That's the secret for success in everything in life, to keep that lamp burning day and night. Now, is God exaggerating? Let's look at first Psalm number one. Psalm number one, well, let's keep that in mind. I will have fulfilled my commission today. Chapter one of the book of Psalms. Chapter one, verse one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Remember, when we sat down passively to watch the entertainment of this world, brethren, we are sitting on the counsel of the ungodly that would use the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life to attract and seduce the audience. That's the motor that moves the world. That's the engine that moves this world according to what John explains to us. Nor stands in the path of sinners, that means he doesn't start practicing what he sees of what is in our environment, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That means does not, does not practice sin, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. We should have the courage in a theater, brethren, watching a movie, and they start showing things that we should not be watching passively and let them infect our minds and pollute our oil. We should have the God to stand up and get out of there without making any drama. Quietly, but have the guts get up and stay and get out of there. Or turn off the movie. But if you sit there passively, brethren, that's what's feeding our mind. We cannot escape the influence. Christ said, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will wax cold. That's a law. It is expressed by Jesus Christ. If we watch and watch what this world has to do and to give, it will influence us. Especially if we neglect to put oil in that lamp. And if we will not have the fear of God to hate evil. But the delight is in the law of the Lord and in His law He meditates day and night. Day and night. How can that be? Let's look at the 
virtuous woman. Chapter 31 of the book of Proverbs. What does it say? She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. That's exactly what Christ said in Luke chapter 12 and 35. Gird your loins and keep your lamps burning. Here it is. She girds herself with strength. Chapter 31, verse 17 of the book of Proverbs. And strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good. Of course, she meditates day and night. She has success. That's what was said to Joshua and from Psalm number one, same thing. And her lamp does not go out by night. How that can be? Is God telling us to stay all night reading the Bible? No. What is he saying to us? Let's look at the answer in the Song of Songs, chapter 5 and verse 2. Song of Songs, chapter 5 and verse 2. He says, Song of Songs, chapter 5 and verse 2. It says, I sleep, but my heart is awake. I sleep, but my heart, in other versions, says, is watching. Why? What is the answer? Let's look at some, uh, just a moment, and see how this describes exactly what Christ said. Be you like faithful servants, waiting for the return of their master, the husband. He says, I sleep, but my heart is awake. Is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is covered with the dew. That's the return of Christ. How does that happen? We can be meditating day and night. If we have the diligence to put that oil in our lamps before we go to bed, instead of going to bed with the last soap opera in our heads, and all the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life in our heads, we have the, people have time to sit down before a TV every night. I don't say everybody, but they do take time for it. Why don't we take time to lit that lamp because it's a statute forever, every night? Then we go to bed, and that stays with us even when we are asleep. Let's look at Psalm 16. Here the Song of Psalms says, I was asleep or my heart was awake. All the ten virgins fell asleep. No problem with that. But there were some that their lamps were still burning when they were asleep. Like the one in Proverbs 31. I was, her lamp doesn't go by night. They have the daily discipline of feeding that lamp. And keep the light burning. And then you go to bed. And even why David says in Psalm 139, I wake up, I'm still with you. You don't need to stay awake all night. What happens in the night? Let's look at Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Psalm 16 and verse 7. I bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. That's how you meditate day and night, when we have the diligence to keep that lamp burning according to what is commanded by God. Then we go to bed with our spirit lit with the word of God and stays all night. That's how is that fulfilled. It's very simple. 
If we find time to sit in front of the TV, what we don't find time to do our Bible study? Now, I'm not going to be absolutely dogmatic. It has to be that way. But boy, I tell you, if we have time to watch so much entertainment, why would we have time to keep that lamp burning with passion, with light, with discernment? I have much more to tell you, but that will be next time, my dear brethren.